chapter 4. As we've been making our way through this gospel, it has been building towards Jesus' ministry, and we saw his baptism by the Holy Spirit. There was the genealogy following his baptism, and then we see a significant conclusion to that genealogy in verse 38. He was the son of Adam, the son of God. And so we reflect upon the fact that Jesus is not an alien. He's a part of the human race, right? He was not part God and part man, quasi-God, quasi-man. He was truly God and truly man. And so his temptation, as we'll look at in chapter 4, will confirm the, the trials and the struggles that he would face in his humanity. And, and it's a principle here that the great privilege, this rewarding experience he has at his baptism is followed by a great trial. And oftentimes we go through that same thing, those same kinds of ups and downs, this Great privilege followed by great trial. So before we read this passage, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it and how he might apply it to our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that once again we come opening our hearts before you, asking you to do a work, giving us eyes to see, giving us ears to hear, helping us to receive this truth and applying it to our lives in a way that brings you glory, that edifies each one of us, that equips us for the work that you've called us to, and, and we're grateful for that work. And as we consider the temptations of our Lord, may it be, may it just well up in us a desire to praise him for the victory that he accomplished on our behalf. It's in his name we ask it. Amen. Let's read with me Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, there's an ancient heresy called docetism. And what it means is 
it's based on the Greek term docetic, or um, which imp- which is translated seeming to be true. The idea of docetism is that Jesus merely seemed to be human, and it creeps in a little bit into our modern Christianity um, in the way that we think about Christ and his victory over sin, even death, the temptations he faced. We oftentimes think, well, you know, he was God. Of course he's going to have victory. He's not going to fall for those deceptive schemes of the devil. But if Jesus was going to suffer and obey in our place, then his temptation had to be just as real as our temptation. Now, his, he never had to succumb to any of it, of course, and he never does. But it, the temptation was strong. It was serious. It wasn't just a trite thing for him to face. He couldn't divinely just dismiss each threat. You know, enter into his, his divine nature and, and sort of not really experience uh, the temptation as strong as he might in his humanity. Now, he, he certainly would have done that if that was an option. Right? But he faced these temptations in his humanity. And the way he overcame them is clear from the passage. First of all, he overcame them by the Holy Spirit who filled him and led him into the wilderness, and also by his response each time by quoting Scripture. He relied upon the Word of God, God's revelation. So Jesus Christ overcame temptation by the power of the Holy Spirit and the application of God's Word, and it absolutely should serve as an example for us. That that, that is how we fight sin and temptation. We, We rely upon the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And we trust in the truth of his promises and in the greater joy that is offered to us in the blessings he's given us in his word than in the temptation that we face. And so the first thing we see here is he's tempted to relieve his hunger in the first four, four verses. Really, the first two are more introductory. So let's look at those first. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. So he's filled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. This uh, shows the purpose of God in this work, that that God is, his Father and his Spirit are, are guiding his Son into this place, knowing full well what is about to take place, the trial he will face. But then he's tempted by the devil, He's not tempted by his father or the spirit. He's tempted by the devil. The blame there is upon him, but we still maintain the sovereignty of God in the experience. The Holy Spirit is the one who led him there. And he leads him into the wilderness where he spends 40 days. And of course, both words have significance for the Old Testament. We know the wilderness was this generation that spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And 40 was also identified with many of the saints who, who spent time fasting. Moses himself spent 40 days fasting on the mountain when he received, on Mount Sinai, when he received um, the law. And so God is, uh, God the Son, 
Jesus is identifying with God's people here. Right? He's the second Adam as well. We, we see really what, what he's entering into is an anti-Eden. He's got it much worse than Adam had. Adam had a wonderful arrangement, and he could eat of any of the tree, except one, any of the trees around him, except one. Jesus enters into the wilderness, isolated and alone, doesn't have a companion with him. Uh, and it does appear that even, even here, the Spirit led him out, and then it's like he's on his own. He faces this by himself um, because he is satisfying uh, the obedient, the requirement for obedience on our behalf. Right? And so he's there in the wilderness, an anti-Eden. He's alone and he's hungry. He's not satisfied like Adam was. Adam had his fill and Eve. And when they were tempted, they had no, no need for an additional bite of fruit. It was, it was pure rebellion against God's clear command there. For Jesus, he was hungry, it tells us specifically, at the end of these 40 days. And this is when he's tempted with a physical need, satisfying that physical need. It, it would not have been hard. This is a temptation that none of us will face. Right? As we think about Jesus' temptations and we, we, we understand that his, in his temptations, he can sympathize with us in our weakness and we go, well, I'm never going to be tempted to, to turn stones into bread. But for Jesus, it really was possible. He really could have done that. But had he done it, it would have been against God's will. It would have been taking the, the plan of redemption into his own hands. Right? Or, or taking it away from, from the plan that had been agreed upon before time began in the Godhead. So, of course... His temptations are different, but his experience of them is just as significant, right? He, he truly was hungry and would have desired to turn a stone into bread. And so the question is, would physical needs trump spiritual obedience? Would that desire for physical needs overcome the desire he had to please his father? And of course, Deuteronomy 8.3 is what he quotes. And it shows that he is trusting. He's unwilling to compromise here. Satan's temptations come when we're least ready, when we're exhausted and hungry, tired after a long day of work. And Romans 5.3 says, not only... This is Paul writing to the church in Rome, talking about rejoicing in our suffering. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. All right, so we know that suffering, even in itself, has a good, God has a good purpose in it. But oftentimes, we seek to relieve it in our own way. Right? We don't do what Jesus did. We're deceived. But he doesn't fall for that. He, we need to see something in the, in the tactic of the enemy here. Right? The devil offers a shortcut to Jesus right? to, to get out of his experience of suffering. 
And we'll see that really could apply to every single temptation that follows. All three of these are, are offers of a shortcut to him. And will he take that or will he trust in the promises of God to relieve him in his time? So these are empty promises that the devil is offering him. Right? Again, each one of them is an empty promise and it'll have no lasting, transforming power and yet how often do we fall for them? Right? How often do we respond like the first Adam rather than the second? When physical needs trump spiritual obedience. And it's not an easy question to reflect upon, but I think it's worth reflecting upon. Right? Do physical needs trump spiritual obedience in our own lives? How often have we neglected the ordinary means of grace in order to recover from a long and difficult day? Instead of prayer, we choose ice cream. Right to relieve the, the pain. Instead of worship, we choose entertainment. It's, and you say, well, that's so innocent. No, it's not. It's compromising. It's what Jesus refused to do. And it's what he enables us and by his spirit to fight against. And so from relieving suffering there, he enters into this temptation to receive his authority. To receive some authority earlier than he had earned it, right? As the God-man, as our Redeemer. Satan was saying, I'm going to offer you something here. I'm going to give you all the nations, all the world. All you have to do is bow down to me. Maybe if it was us, you would, you would think, well, I can just repent. I'll just bow down, get that authority, and then repent later. Maybe that thought would have crossed the Savior's mind, but not even close. Right? Could the devil offer this to Jesus? Well, he is referred to as the ruler of the world three times in John. Jesus himself calls him the ruler of this world. Uh, Paul uses similar language, the prince of the power of the air. Um, and, and so in two different places, he's, he refers to Satan's power. But ultimately, he doesn't have authority over God, of course. Um, and so this is another matter of trust. Would Jesus trust in the promises of God? Or would he take this shortcut to having a partial authority, partial power, significant power, but not ultimate power? And that ultimate authority. And again, Jesus cites from Deuteronomy. See, his future reign depended upon him defeating every one of his enemies. Right? And this was facing him right here in, in the wilderness. Right? He had to overcome Satan's offer of authority. And God has already promised all authority to be given to his son. You look at Psalm 2, the Messianic Psalm. Jesus would have been familiar with this. Verses 8 through 11, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
Now, therefore, O king, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the authority that he would receive. All authority would be given to him. But he's offered a shortcut here. Satan's offering to give him that reward ahead of time. And ultimately, he could not offer what had been promised by God. But this is the temptation that he faced, this cruel cross that awaited it just a few years later, or idolatry. And there is an example of the devil, the dragon in Revelation 13 too, giving his authority to the Antichrist, and there's some power, some authority there. Right? So Satan is essentially teach, uh, tempting Christ to become the Antichrist. But in light of that, it is really no easy, we, we shouldn't minimize the temptation. We, th- we shouldn't think it's an easy one to resist. Kent Hughes says, if we embrace the logic of Jesus' refusal to take the easy way, we will see that taking the path of least resistance to follow comfortable expediency is idolatry. It's worshiping a false god. And again, we, th- we consider these light sins oftentimes, right? Trite things. And yet, for Jesus, he overcame them by the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's word. He resisted the devil, as we read this morning in James chapter 4, verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That was his approach to temptation. And so he faced the temptation for hunger, the temptation for authority, and lastly is this temptation to reveal his power, which you could consider a selfless act, right? Reveal your your power before others and let them see who you truly are. The devil here takes the approach. He's now, he's learning quickly, right? Jesus is quoting scripture. Well, I'll quote some scripture. And so he quotes from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, telling him that that he will command, God will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He's challenging him, do you trust God to fulfill this promise? You trust that he'll take care of you. Show us, prove it. And in the process, you can reveal your power to others. So would God protect his son? The new Bible commentary says it would in fact have been an act of unbelief. Once again, is he gonna trust the tempter or is he gonna trust God? It would be in fact an act of unbelief. People don't test somebody in whom they have complete trust, especially when that person is God. So he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, 16, just like he had all the other quotes. They're all from Deuteronomy, two from chapter 6 and one from chapter 8. So the commentator continues, to have yielded to the suggestion would have been, in effect, to doubt that he was really God's son and that his father was trustworthy. And so the passage concludes with the devil 
departing. And it says temporarily, or says the devil ended, when every temptation had ended, he departed from him until an opportune time would come. And he'll continue to try to tempt Jesus throughout his ministry, but that opportune time never does ultimately arrive. Right? Because Christ overcame him. He was victorious. He overcame him by the power of the Spirit and application of God's word. And because of Jesus Christ's victory over every temptation, he can sympathize with us in our weakness. He understands the, the trials we face, the temptations that face us. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Again, we don't face the same exact kinds of temptations, but in every respect, he has experienced the same kinds of trials that we've faced. And yet never once fell. And it should raise our level of trust in him, right? So that we could cry out to one who intercedes on our behalf, who understands everything we face. We have a sympathetic intercessor who sits at the right hand of God, continually interceding on our behalf. And so we can give him glory and praise. He was tempted to relieve his hunger, tempted to receive his authority, tempted to reveal his power. And do you notice the, temp the parallels there? both with the temptations of Adam and that wilderness generation. They faced these same trials, but where they failed time and time again, Jesus succeeded. Where they distrusted and disobeyed, the Messiah was trusting and obedient. And so Jesus believed the promises of God. He quotes from Moses' section there of the, this recapitulation in Deuteronomy. It's a recapitulation of the law or a re-giving of the law that he'd already given in Exodus. And now he's giving it again here in Deuteronomy, reminding them and telling them how they should have responded but didn't. And that's exactly what he, where Jesus goes to quote in his own temptation. He succeeded where they failed just as he succeeded where Adam failed. And so do you know the word? of God in that way that when you face temptation, your thoughts are taken to a passage of scripture that helps you to overcome his word. That's, that's one application from this, absolutely. But maybe more importantly is do you trust God's word when facing temptation? Do you trust his promises and do you trust his son to give you strength to overcome them? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.